dear friends welcome to zenpod once again i hope you are all doing well today in the studios we have tim kobe the legendary architect who came up with apple retail tim was hired by steve jobs of apple to design the first ever retail store and the rest is history tim is a design leader an author and founder of the globally recognized strategic and experience design firm 8 inc for over 30 years in design and a leader in innovation and branded experience 8 inc has worked with companies such as apple virgin atlantic airways nike coke knoll and citibank the firm takes on an interdisciplinary and holistic approach working across traditional disciplines including strategy architecture exhibition interior design product communications and branding many of tim's projects have received international design awards and have been published across asia europe and the united states his 11 studios and 200 plus strategic designers and business creatives connect across seven time zones and three continents graduating with an honors in environmental design from art center college of design pasadena in 1982 kobe is now a trustee at his alma mater and serves as chairman of the academic affairs committee Prior to founding Aiting in 1989, Kobe became a founding partner in West Office Design Associates, focusing on museum and exhibition design, and was responsible for the master planning of museums and for several science museum exhibitions globally. He has also worked with Herb Rosenthal and Associates, the American broadcasting company, among others. Kobe serves on the board of directors for the Grabhorn Institute in San Francisco and is part of the design master plan committee. chaired by the economic development board in singapore tim frequently lectures and works with students at universities including art center college of design california college of arts and crafts the san francisco academy of art inciad national university of singapore and temasek polytechnic school of design kobe is a keynote speaker and speaks on topics surrounding design innovation technology and business valuation for many internationally known firms he has been featured and recognized for his work in prominent publications like the Harvard Business Review, Bloomberg, The Economist, Design and Fast Company. His upcoming book Return on Experience will be published soon in 2020. Gives me great pleasure once again to welcome Tim Kobe to our studios and I look forward to an enlightening discussion on design and other related elements. Welcome Tim and thank you very much. Tim my trademark first question. <clears throat> Your take on spirituality. Mm. Uh it's an interesting uh, interesting question. I haven't been asked this in most of my uh, design related uh, discussions so it's um, it's actually quite quite nice to hear um you know i guess uh to to me spirituality is obviously a very personal thing um that it's uh i tend to think of it differently maybe than than religions or at least organized religions i've had an opportunity through my early part of the career of my career to uh, to read most of the 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 volumes of of um documentation on different different religions as i had a uh an exhibition that i worked on around that but um you know to me uh my my personal background my uh, grandmother came from ireland she was a very devout catholic uh lady and had uh done what she's asked to do within the religion which is send her grandchildren every saturday to to catechism and sunday to mass and those things and um you know when she passed away my father came to us and and for us to get to 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 the place where the church was 
okay. took us about 30, 30, 45 minutes each way. Okay. So he came to us after my grandmother passed away and said, you know, if you, if you guys want to keep going uh, to church, you can, he said, but um, you know, you can go up, up on the top of the hill. We lived on a big mountain and lots of yeah. trees and stuff. And he said, you can go up and, and sit under the, under the pine trees and mm-hmm. be as close to God there as you will be in the, in the church. Beautiful. And, uh, uh, at, you know, at that time, I didn't recognize it as being as poetic as it, as it turned out to be. <laughs> I, I was just happy I could play baseball on the weekend at that point <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so that, was, that was basically, you know, the introduction to this notion of spirituality. And, um, uh, you know, I've always sort of uh, followed, uh, you know, those, those things that, that he taught that, that I feel are, are fundamentally foundation to, to the way we need to behave both, you know, personally as well as with, with one another. What does design mean to you, Tim? Ah, it's a, this is a long, a long, uh, a long answer yes. maybe. Yes. Um, I don't know uh, if you like uh, the full story here, but I think yes. that, you know, other than the natural elements, there's, there's few things, um, you know, in the world today that uh, we touch that are not designed. Right. And um, even some natural things are being redesigned as we get into pretty advanced, um, you know, technologies and things. Um, but it, you know, it's it's not just the 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 products that that influence our lives. It it actually influences the way we live, the behavior, uh, our environment that we live in. Certainly, products and services that we exchange, um, as well as the forms in in which we communicate. So. Um, in, in, in a way, any successful living is important. Uh, if, if successful living is important, then, then certainly design is important. Um, you know, fundamentally, I guess it's also about change. Uh, most people don't see design as change and therefore um, maybe it's, it's um, uh, perceived as somehow relatively safer, <laughs> but ulti- ultimately, um, you know, at its best design is is reflecting the challenges uh, that we have in the in the times that we're living, right. and ideally, good design improves upon those things. Uh, I want to I want to talk about um, uh, your your latest book, uh, Return on Experience. Can you share this with our listeners and what the book is about? And that's a very uh, intriguing topic as well. So yeah, um, so I've I've been working on it a bit too long. I think probably it's 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 been a while to. <laughs> I'm, I'm a designer, not a writer, so putting it together is, <laughs> has taken a lot more effort. Uh, but, you know, I think it, what, it, what it starts out to do is explain maybe the approach that, that we use as a company to think about design and how a focus on creating human experience is at the core of any successful design. And so the book touches on a number of different points, you know, within each chapter, I include, um, you know, examples of work as well uh, to support kind of the argument or the statement for each chapter. But it's written in a narrative form. Um, you know, I think fundamentally design is about uh, a conversation, that we're having a conversation with our present in environment, our present conditions. We're also having a conversation uh, with our past. And um, ultimately, that's that's something that... Um, uh, is much more of a dialogue kind of conversation than say a monologue. So, um, you know, we tend to uh, think of designers as having high level elevated uh, 
special quality. Um, I think today the world is far more complex for, for that old model to actually be relevant. And I think that we, we tend to need, need to work in ways that are, um, can be large or small sort of ecosystems, but people who can collaborate and work together bring different insights to a problem. And you know, in most cases, the problems are more complex than thinking of design purely as a, as a form statement, but it, it has to have more impact and more meaning. And I think that, that that comes from collaborative effort rather than an individual's kind of single vision. Um, what else can I say? I guess you know the book. It's, the book itself is 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 structured, as I said, in a in a question and answer. Uh, I also have uh, Professor Roger Lehman, who is a um, professor in psychology, uh, who writes a consistent thread through this as to why the approach uh, tends to resonate with people. That there's there's fundamental, fundamentally a, a psychological, biological thread that experience gives us. Um, you know, Marshall McLuhan talked about, uh, you know, a lot of people spend time communicating information. Right. Unfortunately, information doesn't drive behavior. What drives behavior is experience. And so if you're focused on, uh, you know, purely uh, conveying that information, you may, you may be losing um, you're losing the opportunity, but Roger, Roger is a co-author. runs runs a thread through the entire book to help kind of give it context in, in, as to the why some of these principles may be um, applicable, may be successful. And when is the book expected to be out? Uh, yeah, we're hoping we're hoping this fall. Um, we we're supposed to have it out um, uh, uh, Q1, Q2 of this year. Of course, right. COVID. Uh, was uh, impacting that. So, so um, we're still working with the publishers and uh, it will be published in English and Chinese and uh, oh, someone, uh, someone has reached out as well to, uh, to uh, approach me about publishing it in, uh, uh, in Spain so that we have a Spanish language version of it as well. So it's getting nice, uh, nice traction. Awesome, awesome. I will come back to experience later in our talk. Uh, I want to now go to uh, the one thing that excite, excited you, excites me and excites a lot of people, the Apple story. Tim, your experience, and, and we really want to hear your experience on building the first Apple store. Tell us all about it. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, we were very fortunate um, when, when Steve Jobs came back to Apple in 19, uh, I guess, 97, 98 in that, in that time frame. We, uh, we were hired to help him launch the first, his first new product line, and that was the colored IMAX. And so um, our job was essentially to create the, the physical, uh, um, you know, event uh, that, that uh, launched that product. Um, I had written a, a year or so previously, I'd written a white paper on why Apple should do their own retail program. And um, it was because we had experience with both Nike and the North Face where companies that were previously manufacturers were moving to their own, controlling their own channel, controlling their own relationship. A lot of times Apple would do a great ad campaign. They would drive people to a third party reseller and uh, the guy in the store would, would counter sell them on a cheaper model or a different a different unit. So Apple was doing sort of the heavy lifting and not getting the benefit of, of the sales conversion. So, um, you know, we, we basically used the same rationale that the other bigger brands were using at that time who were manufacturers, but looking to control the voice of their, of their brand. 
Um, and, uh, you know, he called us one day. He uh, 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 actually, his assistant called us and, and said that Steve wanted a credentials pitch on, on us doing uh, retail. Um, he was in his car. He would be there in 30 minutes. And so okay. uh, we basically had 30 minutes to prepare. Uh, he came and, and he looked at our previous work. And I was, I was there with my business partner, uh, Wilhelm. And uh, he, he, uh, he looked at it and he said, you know, uh, what would you say if I'm, if I'm not that impressed? He said, um, oh. you know, none of, this, none of this work looks like Apple. And, you know, what, so why should we hire you? And um, my partner was in shock at that moment. Um, and, it, and, 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 and I said, well, you, you should hire us because none of this looks like Apple. That, uh. that what, we did for, what we did for Nike looks like Nike. What we do for the North Face looks like the North Face. And what we've been doing for Apple previously looks like Apple. So, um, you know, he got up and, you know, he sort of took a pause at, the, at that point. Uh, he got up and... Uh, shook hands with us, said, I don't, I don't know if you've done enough retail yet, uh, and then uh, went out the door. And we didn't know if, if that meant we were hired or we were not hired, but uh, he called us the next day and said, come down, let's get started on the program. So that's, that's, wow. uh, that's how it began. Yeah, we started on a, on a whiteboard with uh, uh, Steve and I and Wilhelm and uh, started, you know, started diagramming what, what a, a retail experience could be. Wow, fantastic. Your interactions with Steve... Uh you know, and he's somebody who's clearly and dearly, sorely missed. Uh, you know, some couple of examples of uh, uh, Steve and you together. Uh, would you be willing to share? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, we we were extraordinarily lucky. We did. We had no idea that at that time his you know his time would be so short. Of course. Yeah. And um, you know, we we um, all we knew is we were just working extremely hard um, with him, and I think that. You know, it was it was one of those things where you you tended to learn something every day, and um, you know, one of the things that I that I, I would take away was from Steve's engagement is that you know many people would say that he's difficult to work with, right? And I think that you know he was he was very short on patience when it came to people who he didn't feel were were sort of doing their homework before they ever showed up to a conversation, okay. um, but. You know, the real reason I think a lot of it had to do with the way he, he was as a thinker. And I think that, that um, he was very strong in um, the analytical side and he was very strong in the intuitive side. And oh. so essentially he, he, he wasn't heavily weighted one way or another, I would, I would argue. Uh, and that made it really difficult for most people because most people were weighted one way or the other. Right. And so... If somebody came in with a, a response to something and here was a logic tree, he could look at the logic tree in a few seconds, find out if there was a bust or not. Oh but if there God. wasn't a bust in, in that logic tree, then he would completely flip to the other side and, and look at it from an intuitive perspective. And wow. if it didn't work on an intuitive level, he would send them back to start over. Now, you can imagine somebody who's really good at logic being told it doesn't make sense because it doesn't feel right and go back to the drawing board. That's a frustrating thing for people who, who have that mindset. And likewise on the intuitive side, right? If they can't, if they yes. can't uh, you know, process the logic. So, so you know, he, I think he was, he was brilliant because he had that both, both that uh, logic side and intuition side and was comfortable you know, intellectually moving from one side to the other. The other, the other piece is I think uh, 
one of the reasons he's sorely missed, and there, there are many reasons, but one of them is, is we, we really don't fully understand what technology is today. In most, in most um, applications of it, people mistake a technological capability with technology. And, um, you know, Steve, growing up in the Valley and, and knowing Hewlett and Packard, if you've ever been to their headquarters back in those days, there would be rows and rows of tables with engineers frantically working on the next interesting technological achievement. And um, Hewlett and Packard would walk along behind them every day, look over their shoulder, ask them what they're working on, what they're thinking about. And it was up to those two to then take that technical capability and turn it into a human application. And technology is only when you have a technical capability combined with a human outcome. And I think that, that you know, I think Steve learned that pretty early on. And one of the reasons he was so, so loved and in some cases so hated was that he, he, he required, you know, technology to, to serve people. And he felt the ultimate, you know, way to serve people was to develop something that, that actually had value to people, that this is how you create value. And that it wasn't just the, the kind of standard consumption, you know, cycle that, that we have today where it's, you know, it may be iPhone 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever, the number never stops. Um, you know, it was about what does it do for people? And if it has real value, you, you, cha you change, uh, you, you know, you impact something so that people um, uh, find, find that, it, that it has an influence on the way they live. And I think that the technical capability gets often confused with technology. And I, I would argue, and I'm sure he, he would agree that, that it, it was, it's, it's different. Yeah. Wow. Oh, quite a, I've heard, obviously you've read up and heard a lot of stories, but this, is, this one is really deep. So yeah, so that really means uh, people working with him have to be on their toes and absolutely abreast of everything. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean that, he was a challenge, right? He, because he was, he was very fast. Um, and, you know, you might walk out of a room scratching your head going, uh, either I should have thought of that or, or that's, that's ab absolute BS. But either way, later, later on, you realize he was right. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it was, um, you know, it was, it was an amazing thing. I mean, we, you know, we met with him every week for 12 years. So um, wow. we, we, we saw the good, bad and the ugly. And so, you know, it was, it was really, uh, you know, getting getting to understand his personality, understand how he worked. You know, that question that he asked us when he hired us that day, it was, it was common for him to meet somebody and the first thing that he did would, you know, push them in the chest and say, Ooh. you know, set them back on their heels and see, if, see how they stand up. And a lot of that was just testing the, the you know, not waste time with people who, who couldn't go through the rigor that he was about to, to bring upon them. And um, yeah, so, you know, I think he, I think he was that, he was that clear on, on how he would work with people and, and what, what he could get from them. And, and when he was, when he was done with them, he would move, move on. And so, you know, a lot oh. of people saw that as a little, you know, cold, but, um, you know, I, I, I think he, he did, he did appreciate when, you know, when we started working with him, the company was what, 200 people or something. So it's a much, it's a much different animal today. Right. Right. Um, but, um, you know, he would, he would keep around him people he thought, would would add to the conversation oh. and you know we in doing the retail program we we argue for uh an opening in the second floor 
of the Ginza store in Tokyo for, for, for many months to the point where they had, had already started ordering the steel. Okay. And Steve went around the room and asked everybody, you know, if we, if everybody, we love the design, is it ready to go? And I brought up the point about um, opening the second floor so people could see that there was more floors to the Apple store in the building. And um, he went around the room and everybody said, no, 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 no. And he yeah. told him, he told, he told us, you know, you guys go back, you figure out how to get more product in if you open a hole in the floor, uh, otherwise you're fired. And we said, okay, we'll, 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 go, we'll go do that. And, uh, you know, we went, we met back, came back the next week, proposed, by, we raised the fixtures one row and turned out we could, we could get all the product and the, the hole in the floor. And so, um, you know, we went around around the room, everybody said, no, no, it's too late, it's too late, blah, 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 blah. So he said, no, we're going we're gonna to put a hole in the floor. And so this was after, you know, lobbying for it for, very, for a number of months. And when we walked out of the room, uh, you know, he came up behind me, put his, put his arm on my shoulder and said, hey, I, I just want to thank you for standing up for what you believed was the right thing to do. Now, whether, whether he was, uh, uh, you know, happy about that behavior or whether he was happy that we had solved the problem or, or what, I don't know. But, but I think that he, he wanted people around him who weren't just going to tell him what he wanted to hear. But if, if you wanted to disagree, you better have a good reason. Um, and so, you know, that's, that was sort of our, our existence with Steve. Yeah, that's incredible leadership as well, right? Clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. All right. Good. Um, I mean, this question I'm asking would, would probably have been, a, the answer would have been a little different a couple of months back or maybe three months back, but notwithstanding the C19 that has hit all of us, your take on retail, Tim, and, and your prediction, and you can give us both post-COVID and what you thought it would be. Well, you know, I, I think COVID is just, in a lot of ways, accelerations. So everybody oh. talks about okay. the, the things that are going on. We, you know, just seeing it as um, accelerating what was already happening. Oh. And I, I think that, you know, um, what's happening in COVID relative to retail is mm -hmm. that we're seeing a rapid convergence of both physical and digital space. And we're working on engagements that actually bring those two things together. Um, uh, Nike has just announced that, that their projections for e-commerce are increasing substantially. They've already met the projections they had for 2025. Wow. Um, they've already met, met them this year. Um, you know, but there's, there's um, you know, the, the idea that we're in an age where the rate of change is starting to outpace our ability to comprehend it and respond to it. Um, you know, the Moore's law influence here that, that um, Thomas Friedman talks about is, is starting, you know, we're, we're starting to become somewhat, um, you know, in, incapable of processing rate of change. And so what it means is we have to start looking, I think, at, at uh, targets that are out there that are maybe riskier bets but that, that look at it, you know, not just what's going to happen next year and the next five years, but, you know, let's, let's project out, out there at least five years and, and try to imagine the most extreme thing. And it's probably going to happen to us in a year and a half. So, um, you know, I think that that, that notion of, of setting targets that um, because the rate of, we have to recognize the rate of change is going to be uh, continue to be rapid and, and take into account, you know, how that, affects our planet, how that affects um, 
uh, people's lives, our perceptions of the markets. I think you see, you know, nationalist politics rising in many in many countries yes. because of our inability to deal with change. We want to we want to blame somebody else uh, when in fact it's, it's the world is changing around us and and it's you know it's terrifying to people. It's it's something that that we need to recognize and and address if we want to have uh, some stability. Otherwise, it'll be um, you know some an age of conflict rather than in an age of, of change. Okay. And, uh, and and would you do you do you see the uh, uh, brick and mortar again becoming big uh, Tim or do you see that fading away? I think you know if you, if you look at um, the US there's something like almost 25 square feet of retail per person per capita okay. in America. Mm-hmm. The next closest one I think is Japan at seven if I remember right. I think Singapore's around four or five. I think most countries are in the four and five range. Um, but, I, and I'm, maybe I'm mixing Japan and Singapore, but the, the point is, is that we've, we've overbuilt a lot of retail in a lot of places because oh. once we've turned it into a formula, we can overbuild. And the reality is, is there's no need for a lot of that. And when you're five times the next closest country, you should probably question um, the. It's not the validity of the system. It's the, it's the oversaturation, just like you're you're overproducing anything. Um, so I think that's that's one situation. But I do believe that that there's a role for for bricks and mortar and digital uh, that that brings those things together. You know, any pure play today, I think, is at risk. A pure play being either bricks and mortar or e-commerce. Both of those, um, the, 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 the fact that you can touch and feel a product is, is hard to deny that that has more ability to connect you with brands and products than something you find online. Um, but, you know, somebody who, who has just bricks and mortar and doesn't have a digital way to expand that capability, that's where I think, um, you know, uh, you're, you're leaving you're leaving experience on the table that would be positive and, and drive deeper relationships with people. Sure. So I, I think they come together. I, we, we call it mono-channel retail. Um, everybody talks about these, these different channels. We think it's all one channel today. Um, there's very few times where you're, you'll meet a person face-to-face physically and they don't have a device uh, around them digitally. And, and I think, you know, I mean, we've, we've learned in, in the COVID era that just having Zoom calls with everybody is still leaving us a bit unsatisfied. We, you know, we tend to miss each other. Yes. We miss the energy. You know, yes. you start to lose the, the passion behind what you're doing. Absolutely. You know? So, so I, th- you know, I, th- I think it's this, it's this bringing together of, you know, technology is just an enabler in the right. same way that architecture is an enabler. Right. And what you're doing is you're really building a, a, a relationship as a, as a brand and a consumer you're building a relationship and maintaining that relationship. And people are going to become uh, used to, particularly when you look at digital native generation, more used to that. They don't see technology as interesting. Most, most of us from millennials and older remember a pre-iPhone and a post-iPhone world. Yes. They don't. Correct. All, they've, all they've ever seen it is with technology. So it's, it's about as thrilling as, as oxygen. You know, they don't care and accept when they don't have it. And so, you know, I think that, that that's the kind of world we're going to be living in is that, that that perception is just going to be a given and that virtually everything we engage with will have some, some form of technological interface, but it's just going to enable a better experience and a better outcome for people.
if it's if it's well done. True. Yeah. Yeah. True. And and I also believe uh, going back to your technology story, I also believe that um, large brands or organizations are now working on getting the digital experience as close to the physical one as possible. And that's the other gap that they need. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you you know you have the ability uh, to do lots of things. The problem is we just haven't really looked at. We've been designing them in silos. Correct. And we we're. Tr- we're trained and we think in silos. The problem is experience is lateral. You know, we tend to run across different disciplines in, in human interaction. And so um, I think the people who crack that are going to have a huge competitive advantage you know, yeah. in the future. You have worked, Tim, with some of the best marquee or the top marquee brands globally. Uh, what would you describe uh, is the one common thread that runs across, if not all, at least most of them? Mm, one of one of the most common, um, I guess, you know, consistent traits that I see in in really leaders that people, you know, they they hold up, uh, whether it's it's Steve Jobs, whether it's it's Richard Branson, whoever it may be, they hold them up as as leaders. A big part of the thing that makes them successful is that they're looking at what what does their product do for people, and. You know, I think it comes down to it's not it's not how do I make this this object and then do a slight variation on it for the next for the next number of years until people get completely sick and tired of it. <laughs> they they look at it and they and the reason they're they're remembered is because they have impact on your life. You know what Richard Branson did in terms of 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 uh, the kind of change that he had. Uh, you know, in the in the airline industry or other other sectors, you know, they they tend to want to, um, you know, improve that con- the human condition, and I think that that that's that's probably the most the most common thread. I think it's 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 not a lot of people think value creation is financial, mm-hmm. um, and value creation is ultimately human, and it, it converts through finance. But you're ultimately if you're creating value. If you're driving loyalty and you're connecting with with companies at at a, at a deeper level, you know the, they they forgive you when you make a mistake. Your conversion rates are higher. You know there's 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 a number of different virtues that 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 ladders into. And so um, I think the, the the really great leaders are the ones who recognize what is value creation and and um, and then apply their decision making around that. Coming back to your baby eight. INC. I'm very intrigued by the name. So, <laughs> well, eight eight was uh, when when we started the company. My business partner and I uh, did what most companies do, and we put our name in the in the title. The problem is both of us had very difficult names to pronounce, um, <laughs> and so it, you know it was the worst branding decision that we could have made. And um, because uh, she she was from uh, from Asia, she was from Taiwan. Okay. Um, you know. She said, "You know, eight is an auspicious number. It has. It means good luck. I like. I liked the sort of infinite aspect of it. That it's a continuous yes. infinity yes. thing, and uh, the symmetry and some of those things. So I said, okay, let's we'll, we'll change the name to eight. Um, and wow. the next year, we were hired, hired by Steve Jobs and Richard Branson. So, you know, <laughs> so it uh, the, the idea that it had, it had good feng shui was was really at the heart of that." Um, but you know, I mean, our our company, we we say that that you know that we're a, a creative collective um, who believe that good design can can create you know human progress, and we try to 
build it around those principles. Um, and that means it's, 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 more, it's more of an organism than it is an organization. And again, when I talk about collaboration, um, I think it's, it's a different structure in a way which makes it maybe less efficient to manage, but at the same time should, should produce more interesting outcomes than a, than a rigid structure system. Um, we have, you know, the studios are led by, by creative team members, so cool. we don't necessarily have salespeople leading the organization, but, but we look at the people who are actually making uh, the creative work. And, um, we, you know, we focus on outcomes that, that, um, that people have. Our, our, what we call our, our, our value creation engine uh, always starts with human outcome at the top of the, of the ladder uh, that we we then develop a strategy that delivers that outcome. And then we develop the tactics that deliver on the strategy to deliver on the outcomes. And so um, you, many times we'll, we'll get a call by a client and they'll say, oh, you know, we saw this interesting way of doing something here or something interesting there. Mm -hmm. And they'll want us to try to emulate that, but they're really looking at the tactic. And they think if they do the same tactic as their peers, that they're going to end up with the same results. And we we try to you know reframe it and say you know you focus on human outcomes, then strategy, then tactics, and let's put all the tactics in the tactics box at the bottom. Yeah. And if it makes sense to deliver on the strategy, then we'll mm -hmm. use it. And if it doesn't, we we won't. Um, but I think that that framework means we're we're focused on on creating the highest value for people. And again, later on, the, the human outcomes ultimately translate to business outcomes. But most of the time, if we think we're hired to improve the economic outcome, it's, it's harder to achieve than if we focus on the human outcome and, and let the economic parts follow. And it typically comes in at a, at a compound value in terms Brilliant. Very deep. You know, and, and you, you've set me thinking, and my next question really is, you, you simplified it so very nicely, right? Uh, and you said, oh, well, focus on human outcome. We don't see companies doing that. We don't see leaders doing that, Tim. What's the reason? Is yeah. that the race for the quarter-on-quarter -quarter growth or what is it? Um, you know, it could be. I, I, I wouldn't argue that, that the corporate structure is really working to the best that it could uh, today. Um, that's, that's not to say shareholders and, and that sort of system can't be valuable, but, but I think that you know, we, we tend to lose sight of things, particularly if, if we are uh, not not looking at at human outcome. It can be short-term or long-term, but if you commit to that, um, it should help you uh, in, in either conditions. And, and I think that that's, again, it goes back to um, thinking about what it is that, that you do for people and recognize that, that that's, you know, this is why people love you. This is why people connect with you. This is why people become advocates for your brand. And, um, and it, 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 that's an incredibly powerful thing. And if you choose not to do that, you know, I mean, people talk about word of mouth is, is so important. We know that um, something like 50% of word of mouth uh, is, drives, drives people's uh, you know, interest in engaging with a brand. But the research shows that 80% of word of mouth is driven by direct experience. So if you're not designing the experience, you're, you're leaving money on the table, you're leaving opportunity on the table. Um, and so I think that, you know, when you, when you try to put it, frame it into a business 
uh, business outcome perspective, obviously, um, you know, bottom line and, and quarterly results and all of those things are there. They're just much harder to achieve if you don't focus on the human outcome. Again, we, 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 in retail, we don't focus on getting more transactions. We focus on getting deeper relationships yes. and that leads to more transactions. It's a bit like that. And I've seen it. Okay, I want to take you away a little bit and maybe, maybe to, to, the, to the garden. If, Tim, you are not in design, what would you be doing or where would you be? Ah, <laughs> uh, the, gar the garden, the garden. Yeah, uh, you know, I, someone asked me this, uh, um, I don't know, in an interview many, many years ago. And they, they, they said, uh, I think it was in a workshop or something. And they said, you know, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this today? Okay. And I said, well, yeah, I'd probably be gardening. Wow. Um, and and that, that, was, that was what I, you know, my, my grandmother, I grew up with my, my grandmother and, and she was a gardener. And what, what I think uh, was important about that was um, I would be looking for some type of way to have um, continued lifelong learning. And she was, she was probably the smartest person I knew and I don't know if it was because she spent time in the garden thinking about things and then she would go yeah. away and, you know, research or study or whatever it would take to, to understand it. But she, she spent some time, a certain degree of time being contemplative about things. And to me, she, she instilled, you know, every day that I came home from school, she'd stand there with her hands on her hips before I could get in the door and <laughs> say, what did you, what did you learn today? Learn today. And I, I, I had to come back and you know remember a what they what they taught me in school and b you know recount it to her. Beautiful. But she she ingrained this thing of every day you're you're learning something and if not then then you're you know you're kind of being lazy. Why aren't why aren't you you know? Uh. And so um, you know that I think that finding a role where you can continue to be a lifelong learner to me design is the perfect thing. We have a different yeah. problem every day. We have a different condition every day. I don't feel like I work. I feel like uh, I, I do something that I enjoy. So it, it, awesome. it, it, does, it doesn't kind of come back to me as a, as a labor, but it's just, it's, it's something that I enjoy doing. And I think, you know, each day can be, can be interesting and more, and more fun if you, if you take that approach. Because, I mean, I think we're all just learning as we go anyway. Um, okay, I'll bring you back to the workplace now. Uh, Notre Dame. Uh, we are aware that you had proposed a completely out-of-the-box creative solution. Would you like to let us in on it, uh, Tim? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it was just different than what we were seeing in the architectural competitions that, that were surrounding it. Um, people right. were proposing all kinds of, of things. And, um, you know, I, I sort of... I, I get frustrated when designers put themselves ahead of ahead of the public. You know that that you know Notre Dame in particular has uh, an incredible historic Absolutely. value. Um, it's it's you know its proportions, its design was very well considered, and the tragedy of the fire yeah. meant that it it you know it um, it would require something different, and and I I, I think that what we proposed was to rebuild Notre Dame identically to what it was from a form standpoint and from a, from a, a, um, a visual detail standpoint. But we proposed to do that new construction uh, in glass. 
and the reason be to to sort of not not come and try to put our our form imprint on on changing what it was but to respect what what that was and through this new material give it the recognition of there was something lost in this fire but um it you know it's it's lost but not forgotten and wow. i think it's you know it's kind of it's kind of unfortunate to to build it back kind of the way it was because you know the old growth forests and things like that that it that yeah. it took to create that or, or you know it's it, it was built in a completely different time but i think that 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 it's it's somewhat you know i don't know if if pretentious or arrogant or whatever whatever the word is but for someone to come and try to put their own architectural language stamp on the form is is i think um you know unsettling and um to me the the idea of it being in glass uh we we know a lot about glass construction we know how to do it in a, in a way that would make sense but the um the idea of that also addressed this this point in its in its history so um you know, people were putting swimming pools on the roof and parking lots and all all kinds of crazy things. And, and uh, you know, we were just sort of frustrated that no one was actually respecting the fact that this is one of the prime examples of Gothic architecture See. and that, you know, it has this prominent location and and, and how it fits into people's lives in, in, uh, in Paris. And, well, and in, in the world, basically. And so so anyway, we, we submitted that just as almost a, um, a comment on what everybody else was doing, but it it turned out it got it got you know recognition. A lot of people uh, reached out and responded to it, and uh, I think we were in Time Magazine and some other things. But uh, anyway, it's it's gotten it's gotten um, you know it's gotten some visibility as as a result. And and I th I think if nothing else, it's again part of that dialogue. It's it's that dialogue that design has with with um, you know with everything that, that yeah. happens to us in our, in our time. I, I personally felt when I looked at the design that, yeah, it definitely connected you and, uh, uh, you know, pushed you to think, oh, okay, this is how the Notre Dame looked at, looked like before, unfortunately, the fire ravaged it, right? So, yeah, so that was brilliant. And, and, and a related question, Tim, so this was awesome what you created and do you, do you when you create um, uh, such exquisite ideas, is there a separate zone or a space you get into or does it come to you naturally? You know, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think that, that um, you know, people, people come to different solutions in different, in different ways. Um, mm -hmm. the, the idea that you're continuously thinking about it and, ha and if it's something that bothers you, that you continue to look at it, you look at it a different way, you look at it, you know, upside down, you look at it sideways, but that you, you know, you let that disturbance be, be a thing that drives you to, to keep, you know, to keep pushing at it. And I think that when you, when you find something that that's creating some friction, that's probably the thing that you really need to focus on because that's where you can have the most, the most impact. And, and I guess, uh, you know, I, I think, I think you just, you, you ultimately, it, I don't know that it's, it's some, uh, you know, divine kind of intervention or anything like that. I don't, I don't really think that, that uh, it is, but I think that the idea that if you're if you're someone who cares about something, and you find that there's there's some point of friction and there's something you can do about it, then you should you should try to do something about it. And um, you know, to me, that's kind of a you know, it's it's more of a compass kind of thing than a than a um, uh, 
you know, wait, wait, wait for something to happen. That's not, you know, that, that you know, it, I think it, I think it takes work. I think it's actually hard to, to have that discipline and, and make the effort to, tr to try to solve it. And then, and then be in a place to see uh, if what you have really makes sense. Right. Because, um, you know, as, as you, as you move through life, you do, you look back and you go, wow, I can't believe how stupid that was, you know, the thing that you did uh, five years ago or 10 years ago. So, you know, you, I mean, you, I think you have to have a certain degree of, of uh, humility, a certain degree of, of um, uh, you know, a passion around what you're doing. And if, if that's the case, um, uh, you, can, you can call it lots of, lots of things, but I think it, it ultimately uh, produces the right, the right kind of outcome. You have accomplished so much, uh, Tim. You have put out so much work out there um, that some of us just look at and marvel. Are there times when you when you sit with a cup of coffee or or a drink and you you say, "There is something more I would like to do." Does that thought cross your mind? Or? I, you know, I guess so. I mean, you know, I always I always think that there's more. You know, the idea that if I were to spend time designing a chair right now, I don't know if that would be the best use of my of my the amount of time I, ha I have left, you know. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've tried to look at more and more complex problems and, and to try to, you know, th there's no shortage of problems in the world. Um, and so, you know, I think as someone gets older and, and has had some experience um, to go back and, you know, to do another Apple store isn't, isn't on my, on my list of, of, of interesting things. Um, you know, someone I, I was um, I was with a group of people, um, and they asked me if I had ever considered or would I ever consider designing a government, and they oh, wow. they represented a they represented a small country, um, and they they were going through you know significant change from from the older generation to now this new and younger generation and and, and a younger generation of of, um, of citizens, mm -hmm. and I thought that was the most fascinating. Uh, yeah. Uh, conversation and and the, the notion that you know we sort of look at these polarized conditions of we either have philosophy A or philosophy B. What if you were to redesign based on everything we know today? We know about all these different systems that have been uh, you know put out there. What if we took what we learned from that and 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 started you know with a fresh slate? And I, I just thought that was a fascinating. Um, yeah. A fascinating design problem. Um, again, super complex, and you know, but but potentially really really interesting. Um, and then and then I was asked by uh, the World Government Summit in Dubai actually a couple of years ago to go and to go and speak at that. Um, much more around kind of design philosophy and things like that. But um, you know, uh, to to me, there's there's no. I, I thought it was incredibly thoughtful. For these these individuals to to ask that question, yes. I thought that was the most provocative, provocative question I, I had heard. So who knows? Um, you know, there's there's lots of complex things to 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 work on, and I you know I, I don't know I don't know what retirement is. So I think it's just a question of working on more and more complex, interesting things, and and try to try to stay in, you know invigorated. Can't can't agree with you more. I believe in it. Sustainability, Tim. Are people I know there is a lot of stuff happening, but are people doing enough or is it just still lip service? <clears throat> and globally, I'm talking. Um, yeah, I, clearly we're not doing enough. And 
the lip service is is you know um, it's you know it's it's important for people to speak out about it. I you know I, I think that that um, there you know there are a number of sources around the world who are who are making a concerted effort uh, to to raise consciousness around that. Um, and and you know it's it's probably you know if you look at at rate of change if we're talking about this this acceleration um, you know there's Moore's law and there's the environment and and at at some point our ability to correct the things that we're doing uh, poorly to the environment we, you know we won't we won't yeah we won't have that opportunity anymore and so you know I I think it's um, you know, it's fundamentally it's 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 criminal, the the companies or the individuals who don't promote a, a uh, environmentally sustainable um, uh, point of view, and that we, that we all don't do everything uh, that we can to um, uh, to ensure that we're you know that we're um, aware of and and focusing on um, the kinds of things that we can that we can do through design to to help mitigate that. Um, you know, it's, I'm sure it's, it's politically sensitive in lots of places. And some people think that it's something that you can believe in or not. I, I never believe science is something that's, that's philosophical. Um, uh, you know, but I think that, that, um, you know, it's, the evidence is pretty clear and denial, <laughs> denial isn't, is not the, yeah. the way, the way to look at it. Uh, have you had an, a, a challenge like that thing where your design and uh, probably, Sustainability had to be balanced, and what route did you take? Did you did you face it? Well, the thing is, is I know in, in design school because I'm I'm on the board at, at Art Center College of Design in, in Pasadena. Um, you know, everyone talks about sustainability in the education, and designers get get stymied because the 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 answer, the best thing to do is to do nothing, <laughs> um, because you know you you ultimately no matter what you do, you have some impact, but I think the part of this is that, that you recognize you you have a, a part uh, in this ecosystem, and um, that uh, you know as a designer you're you you should be responsibly thinking for that. If you're looking at creating uh, products and services that that perpetuate um, consumption for the sake of consumption, then I think we're we're probably missing the point, and. Um, you know, again, going back to human value and going back to sustainability, I think they're intrinsically linked and you can't uh, really s separate them. Um, and I think, you know, when, when Al Gore joined the board of Apple and the idea that, uh, you know, he convinced Steve to look at the packaging and to look, look at using the right aluminum, you know, the, to, to get rid of heavy metals and all of these things, you know, it, it wasn't something that the company could turn on a dime with. Right. Um, but but it's 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 now moving more and more into a very a very as responsible a position that it can have in terms of using you know recycled materials et cetera et cetera the waste and the byproducts all of those things are are um, now part of the the values that you associate with the company right. and then people tend to vote based on the values the company has and if if i'm if I'm a consuming things from a, a company who doesn't have a concern for our mutual benefit, our mutual outcomes, then I, you can, I can choose to be part of that value system or part of a different one. And 
uh, as a customer, I think you know you tend to you should you should be engaging with and and uh, supporting those people who are trying to do as much as possible to to um, to be responsible to the environment. Very true. Very true. And I completely agree. But this, this is yeah. this is coming from a guy from California too, so you know you might expect that. <laughs> that yeah. No, but it it is happening. I mean, hopefully. Uh, the uh, and this is where I go back to the younger generation of designers who are coming out. So if if there is and there is a consciousness, if there is a consciousness, then probably over the next five ten years we will see uh, shifts happening. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think that has to be part of you know part of the program. It has to be yeah. part of you know what we put out there. I think a lot of those companies. I mean, we've seen less and less interest in somebody graduating from the college and then going to work. In say the conventional the conventional work channels, there's a lot right. of people who are interested in coming out and doing something that that um, makes them feel like they're contributing to change rather than perpetuating the norm. Beautiful. And um, you know, it, it's now it's now probably about thirty percent of the of the student body and growing. Oh, um, So so I think you know there is you know with young people there's there's light at the end of the tunnel yes. provided the system they come in to have opportunities. There has to be, there, it has to be solved relative to, you know, are there careers and are there, right. are there, um, you know, an, is there an economic system that supports that form of value creation? Your message to the aspiring designers out there, a few messages for them. Mm, I, I guess, you know, all design is about creating an outcome. Um, and I think that, that it has to have purpose Mm -hmm. The outcomes we create, whether they're they're large or small, um, change the way we live. Um, if if people uh, are not you know looking at who is it for and why is it important, uh, then I think we're, we're we're kind of losing sight of part of the problem that that we should be solving for. And I think you know there's always been this discussion around STEM and STEM versus STEAM, etc. You know, and I, I was asked. I think by Georgetown University asked me about uh, why, you know, why study the humanities? And, and they said, well, then why are we doing anything else? Why are we worrying about science and technology if, if, if not, you know, for, for the humanities? If we're not thinking about ways of, of, of serving uh, uh, people in a, in a better way. And so I think it's designers' responsibility fundamentally uh, to do that. And, um, you know, to to make sure that the things that they're designing, the activities, the environments, all of these things are are being looked at, um, not as a way to satisfy the designer's ego, but as a way to satisfy um, uh, um, what value design can have in, in terms of, you know, affecting our the greater good. So I, I think those need to be what you aim for. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You, you probably never get to achieve it, so it's also <laughs> aiming for something that, that's that's very difficult. But if if you don't aim for it, you don't get close, and uh, it's much better to be close than than not at all. How would you like to be remembered as Tim? Mm. Fifty years. You know, you know, some, you know something I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I th I think um, you know it's it's a tough it's a tough question. I guess as as someone who looked to improve. Uh, things you know to do to have some kind of impact. Um, I think as designers we have that responsibility. If we don't do that, then we probably haven't done done what we could do as as well as as um, as we could.
Um, I, I'm not really interested in being um, uh, famous and, and you know, being, being some sort of uh, somebody who's, whose design is appreciated so much as did it, did it have impact. I, I, I moved to uh, Singapore to be at essentially the center, you know, if, if we have 7 billion plus people on the planet, mm -hmm. um, there's something like 5.5 billion within uh, uh, an eight hour flight of Singapore. Yeah. So, you know, between India with, with uh, uh, what is it? 1.4 1. 1. and, and yeah. China with China. Yeah. And China, China 1.6, you know, we're, I, I'm in a place where I think there's an opportunity to have the most impact for the most people. And the fact is that in that, in that circle, um, most of the people are under 30 years old. So I think that that's, that's where really change, change occurs and where, where, um, where the opportunity for, for impact is greatest. So, so that's, why, that's why I'm sitting here. Um, that's you know, a great we're, point. We're, that's an absolutely yeah. great point. That's true. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Tim, really, really fantastic. Uh, can we, can we, before we actually close, we're coming to the group, can we go over a few rapid fire questions? So, uh, and, and your, your answers can be longish, but, but something that, that we do. Right? Uh, okay. design, design compares to? Uh, compares, compares to life, I guess. It's, wow. it's, uh, I don't, I don't see, I don't see it as being anything else. Uh, it, you know, that's, that's, that's part of its responsibility. Yeah. Awesome. Source of your inspiration. You know, my inspiration has been, uh, my family, both, both my, you know, grandparents and parents. Yes. My mother was probably the original hippie in, in, Haight-Ashbury, and, and my father was the most pragmatic, practical guy you could you could imagine. And um, uh, you know, they 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 sort of you know helped develop different different ways of looking at things for me. But um, I also think my children, you know, the the inspiration. Most people, you know, initially are inspired by their parents, and then later they're inspired by their children. But I think you know, recognizing that that um, obligations that we have. Um, you know, extend, extend both ways. Um, other sources of inspiration, you know, creatively coming from California, growing up in California, I, I have an affinity to that, that area because um, I think uh, from a creative standpoint, it, 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 it's a place where opening your mind is more valuable than closing your mind. Yeah. And, um, sure. you know, to me, that's, that's, it's a pretty cool place. Um, you know, source of inspiration, my life experience. I've traveled a lot all over the world. I've, se I've seen, you know, as much as I, I can try to take in experiences in different places, understand different cultures. I think it, it's, it's opened up my mind to, uh, you know, diversity of people and thought and philosophy and those things. I think that's essential as a designer. Um, and, you know, and then other people who have done work that, that you can admire. I think, you know, the Eames office in California was a, was a fantastic uh, studio for a time that, that, you know, created some phenomenal, phenomenal work. Um, so I guess, yeah, those are, you know, where you come from, where you go, right. your, your, your family and your, your world. I think those are the, I don't know, it's, it's, maybe it's not a, a, a clear enough answer, but those are the things that, that I guess inspire me. Beautiful. Uh, if Tim were a student today? If I were a student today? Today, yeah. I guess um, I, would, I would start down a, a, a similar path. Obviously, 
uh, appreciation for the humanities in whatever form, whether that's art or poetry or painting. You know, I mean, it, it can be lots of things. I, I started out uh, because I, I love to draw things. My my mother encouraged me to do that at, at the chagrin of my of my father, who wanted me to to work on calculus and things. But um, you, know, you know, I think that that I, I would start with an appreciation there because it helps to shape some of the the dogmatic things. One book you would recommend? Oh, there's there's lots of great books out there. Um, what I'm reading uh, right now, just just finishing, is. Um, his, uh, I mentioned Thomas Friedman. His book is uh, his latest one is called "Thank You for Being Late," and oh, okay. he ta he talks about uh, this this kind of ex age of acceleration, exponential change. He talks about the kinds of things that impacted us in 2007, which he which he refers to as a pretty a remarkable year when many of the technology companies were formed and the iPhone and stuff came came to be and. Um, anyway, but he puts he puts the summary of this into uh, the idea that uh, a lot of our future success is built around uh, our small small communities. Okay. That it's not this it's not the super companies or the super nations and things. But if you look at where the successes are, it's in recognizing uh, that that we have a role in in you know ourself, our family, and our and our community. And I think he's he he builds a good case for for um, wh why we should be optimistic, and I think I oh. think that's one of the interesting parts parts of the book is uh, you know he 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 looks at it from an optimistic perspective. Beautiful, beautiful, that's good, awesome. That was that was really uh, Tim. My last question for you. With that, I would really like to thank you for coming to the studios, uh, Tim. And it has indeed been a very invigorating and insightful discussion. Loved your take on design and the ultimate outcome. We are looking forward to a very bright uh, future and it's people like you who will um, make the planet a better place and use a design to bring about that meaningful change that we also desperately need in today's age and time. Design has suddenly taken a new meaning for all of us. Uh, would you like to say something to the listeners before we sign off, Tim? No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about these things. I think... Um, we need more questions and more conversation. Um, uh, I think you know, bringing bringing these ideas and these and, and having it be a dialogue is is critical for success. So um, hopefully, it can either be part of that dialogue or or uh, you know contribute to the, the next conversation. But uh, thank you, thank you for putting these together and, and inviting me. Thank you, thank you very much. Indeed.